This episode is supported by Bounty Kitchen, one of my absolute favorite Seattle restaurants. Bounty Kitchen is no joke an extension of my own kitchen, except that there's so much fresh, local, organic, and tasty stuff on the menu that it takes me forever to decide what I want. The good news is you literally can't go wrong. Check out greens, beans, and grains dishes like the braised beef bowl, or dive into the vegan and dairy-free Marrakesh market bowl, or try one of my personal favorites for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the liquor bowl. There are also soups, salads, sandwiches, scrambles, and of course, toast, all infused with the deep love and commitment of founder and co-owner and my friend Meg Trainer and her team. Visit Bounty Kitchen at 7 Boston Street in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood or at 801 Lenora Street in Denny Triangle. And check out my interview with Meg on the podcast last year to learn more about her personal health journey and the inspiration behind Bounty Kitchen. One thing that we find in fertility medicine is that a lot of times people lose steam for various different reasons, maybe physical, maybe emotional, maybe mental, maybe financial. I feel like the people who have a little, you know, maybe some things in place to help them through this journey, support them through this journey, um, self-compassion especially, probably last a little longer and hopes that nobody needs a very long journey. But the reality is, is sometimes it is long. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive coach and lifestyle expert, Lara Dolch. And each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Hey there, it's Lara here. Happy March. Spring is in sight. Well, kind of. In Seattle, winter usually lasts until at least June, sometimes July 4th, but at least we have tulips and cherry blossoms to look forward to to get us through. So quick reminder that Tuesday, March 12th is the last day to submit your feedback in my Women on the Rise listener survey. So if you haven't shared your thoughts yet, please do that now by visiting laradolch.com slash podcast survey. That link will take you straight to a Google form with just a few questions. I know you're busy, but I really want to know more about you and about what you love and don't love about the podcast as I continue to develop it. I'd consider it a personal favor if you hit pause right now and to a few minutes to go to that link, laradolch.com slash podcast survey and answer a few questions. Thank you so much. It really does help me out. So today we're talking about self-compassion. Turns out that self-compassion might be the single most important ingredient to reaching a goal, any goal, because when we're in the day-to-day slog of working towards a goal or making a big change, it can be really hard. Self-compassion or cutting ourselves a break helps us put things in perspective. It helps us adopt what researchers call a growth mindset, which allows us to focus on improving what we can control without abandoning all hope that we'll ever reach our goal. Practicing self-compassion helps us develop grit, which is defined by psychologist Angela Duckworth as, quote, passion and perseverance for very long-term goals, having stamina, sticking with your future day in and day out, and working really hard to make that future a reality. End quote. And it turns out that grit is a better predictor of success than even IQ. 
When I was thinking about who to talk to about self-compassion, the first person that came to mind was my friend and former colleague, Dr. Nicole Barker. Nicole is a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist at Seattle Reproductive Medicine. She's also mother to two young children after undergoing years of infertility treatments herself. Nicole's experience with her own fertility journey and health shaped her practices in and out of the office. She is intimately familiar with the self-compassion needed to navigate the difficult and often and long journey of infertility treatment. Nicole and I talked about why self-compassion is a critical component of any health journey, and especially for those struggling with infertility, how Nicole navigated her own infertility journey, and what she's learned in hindsight about how she might have done it differently, how Nicole fits healthy eating and exercise into her demanding life as a physician, wife, and mom, and why getting clear about what you can and can't control during your infertility journey or any life challenge is key to managing the inevitable stress of the process. Enjoy the interview. So yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, Nicole. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited we finally got a chance to do this. Um, and, you know, for for my listeners who probably have no idea of it, but um, Nicole and I used to work together when I was head of marketing for Seattle Reproductive Medicine, where she is a, a partner physician. And so it's really fun for me to talk to her in a different uh, capacity. Yes, for sure. Well, and you, Nicole, were always, you know, not that, I mean, of course, you're all physicians and you're all, of course, interested in um, health and, and staying healthy, and, but you have a particular interest. Um, yeah. And I think we connected, like, maybe at one of our holiday gatherings or something about that, too. <laughs> totally. I think that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, you know, I have um, been friends for, for some time now. And, and I, you know, when I was thinking about who I wanted to have on to talk about the topic of self-compassion, you were one of the first people that popped into my head, especially being um, a reproductive endocrinologist and helping people get pregnant. And, you know, I just sort of imagine there's a lot of self-compassion work that goes into that, obviously. Um, but why don't we start with, you know, what, what does self-compassion mean to you personally? Yeah. And when I was really excited about this topic as well. Um, I think it's a great topic for any person. Um, But for me, when I think about it, it's kind of just like, you know, cut myself a break. You know, Um, I think that we so much want to achieve and um, be successful and do everything right. And, and, and life just isn't that way. And when it doesn't always turn out that way, I feel like we get down on ourselves a lot. Um, and so, you know, I find myself even telling my patients, you know, as I'm sitting across the table from them about kind of like, okay, let's take our the topic kind of off the the track of the medical side of things, the clinical side, and talk a little bit about, you know, how you're feeling, how you're coping. And I always tell them, I I don't know why, but I always am like, listen, you got to cut yourself a break, (laughs) you know, like, you know, trying to um, be super strong and not break down and being strong for your partner or, you know, just, you know, tackling this journey on your own. I mean, all of those things. So I find myself kind of thinking out of that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's right. I mean, I think it must come up like every day in your work um, as a physician. And I mean, you know, any, any medical situation is challenging and, um, but I think, yeah, I mean, the reproductive infertility journey, I think is 
an, an especially unique. yeah you know, yeah it's, a unique thank you I'm like yeah <laughs> no, I'm one cold. yeah I'm it's totally my unique. that I seem to be getting a cold and so my brain is not fucking <laughs> properly <laughs> but it's being my of brain. course no but I think it is unique because um you know I, and and I I kind of say this as well because you know, we're so used to thinking as humans, if we put the work in, if we, you know, study, we're going to achieve, right? Um, and if we just work harder or study longer or, you know, practice more, we will achieve. And in most things of our life, that will happen. But when you take that thought process and apply it for, to fertility, it doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's what I, you know, tell my patients. I'm like, you know, no matter... If you are doing a thousand times more than the average person to get pregnant, it still might not happen. And that just stinks, you know, so. Totally. Yeah. Well, what do you see happen for patients? Let, let's continue on that path for a minute, but because I'm curious about what you observe happening for patients who are able to practice self-compassion during that journey versus those who aren't. Well, I think that, you know, there's a one thing that we find in fertility medicine is that a lot of times people lose steam for various different reasons, maybe physical, maybe emotional, maybe mental, maybe financial. Um, So what we find out is that, you know, for the most part, that people can sometimes stop too soon um, before they achieve their goals because they lose steam in those areas. And so I feel like the people who have a little, you know, maybe some things in place to help them through this journey, support them through this journey, um, self-compassion especially, probably last a little longer and hopes that nobody needs a very long journey. But the reality is, is sometimes it is long. Yeah. 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 It's like a resilience thing, right? I mean, that's right. the way that I think of it is if you can practice self-compassion and as you said, cut yourself a break, you're increasing your resilience in a, in a tough process. What right. was it like for you? I mean, is that something that you, because you of course were a fertility patient, um, a number of years ago and, um, of course, thankfully now have, uh, how many kids do you have? One, two, two, two girls. Right? Yeah, two girls. <laughs> My miracles. Yay. <laughs> but yeah, can you talk a little bit about how that showed up for you in your journey? Sure. Um, I mean, so a lot of people ask me, oh, did you go into fertility medication or fertility um, medicine because you, you know, went through this? And unfortunately, you know, I kind of found that out in the middle of my career. Um, And so for me, it was like, can I even go on working in this field if I can't achieve this? Um, And I'll be honest with you, I was not very good at self-compassion during that period of time. Um, I think that when I look back, I feel so lucky and blessed that it worked fairly quickly. Okay. It took a lot to get there, but it worked fairly quickly in the grand scheme of things, because in all honesty, I think I would have been one of those people who burnt out quickly, to be honest. Yeah. You mean really because of, because of this maybe lack of self-compassion or just that pushing yourself tendency? Yeah, thinking like this is something that I always wanted and I don't know what I'm going to do if I can't get there. And for me in that moment, I had a really hard time of kind of, you you kind of get this tunnel vision and your eye is just kind of so focused on this one goal. And for me, I was just so worried. I knew there were other options out there, but for me, I, I just didn't feel like I was in a good place to even consider those. And so I, I kind of saw it as a black and white. I am or I'm not going to have kids. Um, and that's truly not 
not what happens uh, in this. And so for me, I felt like I took it on myself to, you know, well, you know, should I be sleeping more? Should I be eating better? You know, I kind of shut down. I got, I, I always say that I, I kind of just became paralyzed during that period of time. I wasn't able to be productive at work. I would put, I would be able to like, kind of like pick myself up by, by my bootstraps and like go in and be okay, like in front of a patient. But then I'd like come out of that and like quickly fall apart. Um, you know, and so for me, I didn't ask for enough help. Um, I didn't have a support group um, that I wish I would have, um, other than my husband and some, you know, a few family members and coworkers that knew what was going on just because I was in the field and they had to know, um, you know, I really didn't want to broadcast what I was going through. And most, most people who go through fertility treatments don't like to share, Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's isolating, even though many, many people go through this. So, um, but I remember just, you know, I was sick, like, you know, I, I, your immune system kind of gets shot a little bit, especially with all the hormones and stuff. And so I remember I was just like super sick, like with a horrendous cold and a sinus infection during my IVF stimulation. And I was like, well, this isn't even going to work. I'm sick, <laughs> you know, I'm sick. Yeah. And our cycle didn't really go that well the first time. And we didn't really get a lot of embryos. And I was like, well, if this works, it'll be a miracle. And wouldn't you know, it worked. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that I probably could have handled it in a, in a totally different way. And so for me, it is, you know, probably taken several years. Now my oldest is six and I honestly feel like maybe even till a couple of years ago, I started even thinking about this topic. Um, so for the most part, I've always been kind of on this autopilot of like, just go, 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 like push, push, push. Um, I think in medicine, especially, but especially, any working person um, who ha or is, is driven to do something, um, you know, I think you, you kind of, you lose sight of, of everything else kind of going on around you sometimes and you get this tunnel vision. And so uh, for me, um, you know, it had to change or else things were not going to go very well, especially being a new mom and having a new practice. And I'm, you know, have a husband to worry about, a child now and myself and my patients and, you know, <laughs> Uh, yeah. What about me? So I think that in a lot of people, I, I feel like have that problem. Well, and I remember, I, I remember seeing something in your Instagram feed, I think towards the beginning of the year about um, things, you know, in the, the framework of resolutions, but you like me don't necessarily believe in, I don't think you believe in like the idea of resolutions, right. but you were talking about right. reflections that you'd had. And right. um, one of the things that you mentioned for 2019, I'm just looking at my notes here, was um, to simplify and downsize things, to lean on and lift up others more, which I thought was really interesting. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like it's relevant to this conversation. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I always... I, I don't know. And, and, and a lot of us probably do think this, but I always feel like I need to do more. I need to be more. And then as I get older, as I've gone through, you know, my own journeys of my career and, and motherhood and infertility struggles and everything, um, as a wife, even, you know, um, I feel like I, instead of trying to be everything, I, I just need to be good at being me. And sometimes that's really hard. And I think that that's where the compassion comes in because instead of thinking like, oh, well, I, gosh, I'm a really, you know, I, I can't make all my kids, um, you know, kindergarten class, you know, activities and I can't be at this, you know, baseball game or I can't support my husband enough or, you know, I'm always thinking of what 
what I can't do? What about the things that I do well, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, so starting to focus on that. And what I realized is, is that a lot of the things that I thought I needed to do, you know, weren't bringing me joy and weren't things that were necessary. And the only person who was putting that pressure on themselves was me. And so I realized that if I, you know, if I kind of simplify, like, what are the things that really make me happy? Um, I think that that it helps to downsize kind of your thoughts. It kind of narrows it and just be you. Be It's okay if you're not good at something. <laughs> Own up to it and be okay. Or I also find that at least, you know, um, uh, when you're connecting over, you know, social media, seeing other people go through their struggles and supporting them, you know, through it. Um, and even in my own, you know, exercise and fitness, uh, you know, journeys that I've had as well, I feel like that has always helped me kind of like some accountability, you, you kind of lean on each other, and we're not always going to have a good day. And when somebody does have a good day, it's, it's time to celebrate. And even if you don't have that, like, learn how to celebrate yourself. Um, and I think that that is not a natural thing that we do. No. Well, and it sounds like for you, what's worked is sort of a combination of the self-compassion, which I think, you know, the recognizing what you can and can't do, recognizing what you're naturally good at, you know, that's all to me, that's all part of self-awareness and self-compassion. And then on the the other side is asking for help and asking for support and also supporting others in that process. That's kind of what I'm hearing is the, the magic combination for you, lately. at least for me, and I still think that I'm a work in progress. You know, I I don't think that I believe me. I don't feel like it comes naturally for me at all. Um, and uh, so I continually, ha- you know, I'm I'm always trying to read something or learn something new and keep my mind open to you know different things. Like, okay, I never. I have a hard time learning how to meditate like that, you know, being quiet, shutting off my brain. Like that's actually very difficult for me. And it's, it's, I'm not the only person. I think that that's a lot of people. Very common. Yeah. Trying to, you know, kind of go into like a quiet space and, and don't think about anything because I feel like our, our days are filled with like our minds just going and our bodies just going. And so, um, for me, you know, just, um, like I said, simplifying, make, making it like, a, and prioritizing the things that maybe are going to help you get there. Like maybe having that time in the morning to either, you know, pray or meditate or just a quiet time uh, without talking to anybody, not getting on your phone, not getting on the emails. Um, and, you know, for me, exercise, that has definitely been a, a good thing that has helped me not only from a physical standpoint, but just like how I, you know, have more energy throughout the day and, I feel better about myself. I feel stronger mentally and physically when I do that. And so to me, I make that a priority. Um, Trying to eat well, um, trying to, um, you know, it's okay if I have a cupcake, but yet, okay, let's make sure I get, you know, lots of vegetables and, you know, throughout the rest of the day. Um, So it's a balance really. Yeah. And is that, you know, I wanted to ask you about that. Is your, as far as the healthy eating and the exercise and, and taking care of your body, is that something that has always been part of your repertoire or is that a, was there a turning point that kind of highlighted its importance for you? Yeah. I think that um, I've always been, I, I'd consider myself an athlete, even at the young age of six, I was doing gymnastics, but oh, I went, that's right. I do actually remember. Yeah, I see I I, again, on Instagram, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see everything. But I will tell you that I don't, I mean, I was a 
growing up in the eighties, like eating processed food, like, you know, I, I didn't need to count calories at that point in time, you know? So, um, I wouldn't say that that was something on my radar and I always kept active and I always liked to exercise, but the nutrition part really came in. Um, I had gestational diabetes with my second and I wasn't overweight and I was gaining the normal amount of weight. And so it kind of scared me a little bit, but I was like, ah, I'm older having a baby. I had an IVF baby. All of these are risk factors and it's probably just the placenta. So after, and my blood sugars were fine during the pregnancy. I just watched what I ate. Um, and then about eight months after, which it should be gone by then, I just, you know, I wasn't feeling so good. I, I had them check my hemoglobin A1C and it was in the pre-diabetic range. And I had lost all my pregnancy weight. Um, I was even doing a little exercise and it really kind of scared me because I was thinking to myself, well, what, what could I do? Why is this happening? You know? Um, and so for me, it was, how can I reduce my stress? How can I get more sleep? And then what can I do in my diet that can help that? And so I really started to dive in more so on the exercise even because that has been a big benefit for me to get it down, my blood sugars, as well as just seeing, you know, how can I create a little bit more of a healthier pattern of eating? And I don't mean to be, I'm not perfect by any means, um, but I do feel like it's important for me to kind of meet these kind of daily requirements. Okay, I definitely don't drink enough water. I got to do that. You know, I definitely... um, Sometimes we'll um, skip a meal and I need to make sure that I'm, you know, being planful about it. And so having a plan and kind of having a, you know, prep time has helped me a lot to to eat better. Um, And it also was just interesting to me. And it helps me too when I'm talking to my patients because a lot of times, you know, some of my patients are affected by fertility problems due to, you know, being overweight. Um, and so it helps me to kind of connect with them saying, Hey, listen, you know, I, I get it. It's not easy. Um, you know, and it might not just be about, um, losing weight and changing the scale. Sometimes it's just about doing little things that can change kind of your metabolic parameters, um, and how you feel about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's not, it's not easy. It's to your point, you have to be mindful about it. Right. And how I'm curious actually a little bit about how you managed to make that shift, because obviously you have a very demanding, uh, professional life. So what decision did you make and how did you kind of fit planning and and all of the things that you just mentioned into your life? Yeah. Um, you know, it's not easy because I don't have a lot of free time. And so, and most people don't, one of the things that people tell me a lot of times about exercise in their diet is that they just don't have time. And in reality, we're all very busy and you'll make time for things that you feel are important. That's just the reality. Um, and, uh, so for me, I, any moment before, you know, I'd maybe put my kids to bed and I'm, you know, reading a book on something. I decided to uh, take a course on plant-based nutrition um, on my own, kind of on my own just interest and accord because it was something that fascinated me and I wanted to learn a little bit more about it. Um, I also love cooking and not everybody does. And so for me, it's, it's a fun way to kind of decompress. My husband makes fun of me because for him, I'm sure cooking stresses him out. But for me, that is some um, in the kitchen. And I kind of like to, that's where I kind of just decompress. Totally. Um, Me too. That's so funny. I, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I, I completely relate to that. And yeah, I cooked a lot this weekend and it, it's, yeah, it's like a meditation for me. 
and that's where I'm in my zone. So yeah, at work and, and, and when I'm in the kitchen. And so those things I love to do. Um, and I really like, I, I wouldn't say that I am, you know, a, a chef by any means who could, you know, serve somebody an amazing meal. I'm really good at, you know, reading books and following recipes though. <laughs> um, and for me, I just tried a bunch of different things to see what would work for me. So for instance, I would get a lot of different books that would have suggestions of meal plans. I tried kind of a meal service, you know, as well uh, to see, well, maybe if it gets sent to me and I could just cook it, that would make it a little easier. Um, but what I find is kind of a combination of all of that. Um, I honestly think, though, that I eat better. I stay on track so much better when I prep the, the, the weekend before my, my week. Um, and, um, it just, it, even if it's just breakfast and lunch, I feel so much better because I'm, I'm good when I come home. That's the, another issue, you know, because I feel like if there's like some, a bag of something open, like it's just gone. <laughs> um, but, you know, trying to minimize even having that kind of stuff in my house. And it's hard yeah. when I have small kids. Right. Um, but maybe doing individual size bags, um, you know, things like that. So for me, Meal prepping has has been super helpful, as well as just you know finding different things that I feel like I I enjoy that are super healthy. Like for me, I love kale salads. Like I can eat a humongous bowl of kale, you know. But other people hate kale, so don't eat kale. Eat yeah. something else. That's right. Healthy. Totally. Yeah. And that's what I was gonna say. I love that you experimented because that's I think that's really the key for everyone is you've got to experiment and you have to sort of decide that you're going to spend a period of time experimenting to see what works and you'll find something eventually or to your point, finding foods that you like or whatever it is. Right. Um, it doesn't just, you know, you don't just magically pick the right thing right off the bat usually. No. And it's kind of like the compassion thing because what happens is, is that, okay, if we feel like if we're following a certain quote unquote diet and we're not, and we're messing up, like say we're sneaking things, you know, we're eating some chocolate here and there, and then it turns into a bowl of ice cream and then a whole gallon of ice cream, you know, then we feel like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I've let myself down. I just am miserable because I can't follow this. Instead of like having kind of that mindset, it's more of, okay, well, I'm going to treat myself and then tomorrow I'm going to just get back on track and maybe I'll do a workout tomorrow, you know? So yeah, um, I'm just understanding that not everything, you know, I'm glad you said that like certain, certain ways of eating or doing things don't work for everyone. And, you know, if it doesn't, Feel like it's working, it's okay to find something else that, that right. does or to create your own framework and, and yeah, to not beat yourself up when there's no, I always like to say to my clients, there's no wagon, this whole, like I fell off the wagon thing. I'm like, there's right. no wagon. <laughs> there's, right. It's more, it's just a spectrum of, you know, uh, it, it's more like a, um, you have sort of a baseline, you build a strong baseline and then you kind of move around that baseline and that's, that's cool. We all do it. For sure. Yeah. Is there, is there something that you just sort of a final thought about self-compassion and for or cultivating self-compassion, you know, for listeners who might be working towards some big goal and finding that they're having trouble with that? How do you, how do you say they should try to cultivate more? I think that, um, at least how I apply this to some of my patients. And I wish I would have done this for myself during, let's say, I'll give you an example for my, for, through my fertility journey. Um, there are certain things that are totally out of our control. Okay. And then there's certain things that we can control. And so I really encourage, and, and, some, and sometimes I do this now with myself and I say, okay, what are the things that I, you know, can control and is that making me happy or is that not making me happy? And if so, 
um, you know, can I change that if I have control over it? And then you'll understand that you have a list of things that are out of your control that no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to change it. Um, and so I tell my patients this because a lot of times they ask me about, well, how can I reduce stress during my um, my fertility treatments and how much does stress really play on my fertility success rates and all of these things? And it's really hard because everybody deals with it differently. Um, and, and, and there's not a good way to kind of monitor that or how to treat it necessarily so we don't have great studies about stress. Um, but I always tell people to kind of, you know, sit back, maybe make a list of the things that are going on in your life that you do have control of and then things that you don't have control of. You can't do anything about the things you don't have control of. If you don't love your job, is this a time to shift or is it not? Um, if you are not happy in your relationship, do you need to get some counseling or do you need more support? Um, is an activity you're doing, you know, helping you through this process or not? And so, um, but I'm a list person. I love crossing things off a list. <laughs> and so it works for me and it may not, and I tell my patients, you know, this may not work for you, but this is a suggestion. Um, I feel like in the world of fertility, we don't have a lot of control over what the outcome is. I always say that I wish I could just, you know, give you that outcome, but I can't. All I can do is kind of get things as close to where they need to be as possible, and we we hope for the best, right? Um, and so there are so many things, though, that we're just hoping to have more control over. Things of, you know, your more activity, treating yourself better, self-care, um, getting that massage once in a while, or having somebody, you know, give you one, or maybe getting your nails done if you like that, or having, you know, a pedicure, um, taking a bath. Um, so all of these simple things. Um, so I don't know, I don't say that I have all the answers, but this is kind of some of the things that I would tell you if you were a patient of mine. Yeah. No. And I think focusing on what you can control is really good advice. And actually I should just quickly throw in that one of the, it just, I just remembered one of the self-compassion resources that I uh, recommend for my clients is uh, work by Dr. Kristen Neff, who's a um, researcher down in Texas who works around specifically around self-compassion. But if you go to self-compassion.org and I'll put the link in the show notes, but she has a lot of exercises there um, that people can do on their own uh, writing exercises, you know, thought exercises that are, um, I have personally found very helpful. And, um, you know, a lot of my clients have, and perhaps some of your, your patients would, I don't, I don't know why it took me so long to remember that. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Nicole. Where can people learn more about you if they would like to connect with you? Sure. Well, um, I do have an Instagram uh, account um, at fertility specialist underscore doctor dot Barker. Um, if you want to connect with me there, that would probably be the, the easiest. Yeah. And I love your Instagram feed. It's, it's, I mean, of course I know you, but it's, I still think it's fun oh, regardless. You. <laughs> you're very, you're very good at it. And I think um, it's a great way for people to, to get to know more about you um, both as a physician and as a person. So thank you so much for your time, Nicole. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lardalch.com slash women on the rise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lardalch.com slash podcast. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Yeah.